thanks for joining us this morning. I'm excited to be able to preach to you on this Palm Sunday weekend. I hope you and your family are all well. And I miss you. This is one of the greatest times of the year, something that preachers and church families look forward to. Holy Week and Easter. So excited about those. And I'm excited about the way I have the opportunity to share with you today. Today we're going to look at the seventh sign. I hope you've enjoyed this series because it's given me a different perspective, and I hope it's given you a different perspective of the Gospel of John. As the old apostle writes to us so that we might believe, we're reminded of who he was. He was a son of thunder. He was Jesus' beloved. He was a fisherman. He was the brother of James. He was there throughout all of Jesus' ministry and had a front row seat. And I believe today, as we look at this seventh sign, it's timely for what we are experiencing right now. So I think we can gain a lot of wisdom and a, a lot of practical relevance. Some of you have been looking for a sign, and this could be it. Now, in John 11, we're going to be looking at almost this whole chapter. There was a certain man that was ill. A lot of illness going around. Lazarus of Bethany. The village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who had anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, this was personal. This was a close friend, someone Jesus loved. A lot of times we can distance ourselves from tragedy and disaster. But when it's close and when it's personal, it's a lot different. Notice that Jesus says this illness was for the glory of God. In Scripture, we see three different types of illnesses and purposes. One's unto death which is kind of self-explanatory. One is unto chastisement, which we experience when there are consequences for our own actions, and then there's one to the glory of God. And that's what we're going to look at today. This was for the glory of God. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. You mean Jesus waited? He was absent. He didn't go immediately. No. He had a purpose. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Now, that's an honest response. That's what I would expect from good friends. Hey, are you missing the point? Have you focused on just one thing, Lazarus, and not about the bigger issue of where we are going and what they think of us, and especially you, Jesus? You're public enemy number one. Jesus answered, Are there not 12 <clears throat> hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light 
of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now this is interesting. Jesus is saying, hey, we've got time. We're going to be all right. There is light, and we're going to go. And then in verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. You see, those who are Jesus' friends and who fall asleep will one day be wakened by him. That's sort of like us waking up our child after nap or in the morning. This is kind of the picture that Jesus gives us, that he's going to awaken Lazarus. But the disciples didn't get it. Disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. No big deal. Why are we risking our lives? But Jesus had spoken of his death. But they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. What's the purpose? Why did John write? So that you may believe. But let us go to him. And so Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now Thomas gets a lot of grief. Doubting Thomas, sarcastic, cynical Thomas. But, but if you give him the benefit of the doubt here, what he's saying is, I'm willing to go with him even if we die. And Thomas names what he's feeling. And, and, and yet with courage. I'm anxious, Lord, but I'm willing to follow you wherever you go. Now when Jesus came to Bethany, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. So Jesus was really late. He missed the funeral. And Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Mara, Martha went to Jesus, but Mary stayed. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. If you had only been here, Jesus, he wouldn't have died. Have we ever thought that? About a situation, about a family member or a personal friend? If God was here, this wouldn't have happened. Notice what Jesus says. Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this. This is the fifth I am in the gospel of John. We saw a couple weeks ago the first I am, that Jesus was and is the bread of life. He is our 
sustainer, and he satisfies us. Now we're getting to know Jesus in a different way. He is the resurrection and the life. If we believe, though he die, yet we will live. And everyone who lives and believes shall not, never die. And he looks at Martha and she, he says, do you believe this? And she says to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Isn't that enough? When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. Jesus might have said, Hey, Martha, where's Mary? I want to comfort her too. How is she doing? And when Mary heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. Mary came running. And when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She said the same thing Martha said. Lord, if only you had been here. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? I don't want you to miss this moment in this passage. I think what Jesus is feeling here is what we are experiencing right now and also what we experience at different times in our lives, when we, we lose someone we love, when someone we love is ill, when something is out of control, Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly, greatly troubled. This was an anger with anguish, with, with pain, and with angst. You ever feel that way? I felt that way this week. I don't think Jesus was frustrated like like we are. And I don't think he was uncertain like we are because he knew what he was going to do. But yet, I think he was experiencing what we experience in this fallen world, in this creation that has been corrupted. God made everything good in creation and now we live in this broken, fallen world. And so when we feel that, we can know that Jesus identified with us and that he loves us and cares for us and understands our human experience. So where have they laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. What's the appropriate feeling to have, emotion to have, when we are with someone who's experiencing loss in a deep way is to weep with them. 
And so the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Absolutely, he could have. I read a story recently about a preacher who lost his only son in a cycling accident. Terrible accident. The preacher preached his only son's funeral, and even though he was devastated, he managed to suppress his grief, and he preached an eloquent funeral sermon for his son. His display of hope in the midst of tragedy earned him the admiration of many as a preacher. But a few weeks later, the man invited some of his preacher friends over, and he raged and he cried out as a father who had lost his only son. And he was pained and he was furious at God. And, and, and he was almost blasphemous. And in his agony, he blamed God for his death. But his friends, rather than to rebuke him, gently reminded the enraged father of the story of Jesus at Lazarus' tomb. On three occasions in this story, Jesus expresses anger and even furious indignation in the presence of death. When Jesus came to earth, he, he became a human being just like us, feeling the abnormality of our suffering. In Jesus' humanity, we see God's perspective of our pain. The beautiful world God created is now broken and in ruins, and Jesus will heal this broken world and our broken lives. But first he came to earth in order to identify with our anguish. So we have a God who understands. Jesus understands humanity, and it frees, frees us to face the world's brokenness just as Jesus did. And like Jesus, we must never accuse God of wrongdoing or blaspheming God, but like Jesus, we are free to feel what it is human to feel. Sorrow at what is heartbreaking, shock at what is shattering, and outrage at what is flagrantly out of joint. To pretend otherwise is to be too pious and harder on ourselves than Jesus himself was. Look at verse 38 of chapter 11 in the book of John. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Martha was still in the physical realm. She wasn't hearing what Jesus was saying. He said, move the stone. Now, now she had a legitimate concern because Jews, by practice, and even now today, the Orthodox bury their dead quickly, within a day. And so at that point, they were in their Shiva, which is the seven days of grief 
after the funeral where they sit and they mourn together. There's a time limit of how long they are to grieve. But Jesus knew what he was going to do. And he said to her in a compassionate way, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? We are going to see the glory of God. Because they saw, they believed, because of what John experienced and wrote as historical fact, we can believe and that will allow, allow us to see. Believing is seeing. So verse 41, so they took the stone away and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you were always, that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come, come out. Lazarus, come out. Can you imagine in those final days, Jesus calling your name? Chris, come out. Donna, come out. Jim, come out. Dan, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Can you imagine seeing all of that and going and telling people that wanted to get, get rid of Jesus, what he had done in a malicious way when he had raised a man from the dead? This was the beginning of the end of Jesus' ministry on earth. The Lazarus sign, the miracle, was the impetus for the high priest to move. And we'll see this in this. If you read the rest of chapter 11 in John, you will see this occur. Now, the sign was Lazarus was raised from the dead. Now, that was a resurrection, one of three. Remember, Jesus raised the widow's son and Jairus' daughter. But I think Lazarus' resurrection was most dramatic. But you might even call it a, a resuscitation. And I'm not saying that in a glib way because it was a resurrection. He was raised from the dead. But Lazarus would die again. And it causes us to remember that we all have an expiration date. And we've got to realize that Lazarus and Mary and Martha were Jesus' friends. But I don't want you to miss this point. That friends of Jesus have illness and they suffer and they die. But there's hope beyond the grave. And we've got to realize that Jesus is our friend, that he loves us. Many times in this passage, it talks about Jesus' love for them, that agape 
love, God's love, never-ending, always gracious, always enough. Nothing can separate us from that, that, that love. And we also have got to realize that Jesus is more than our friend. He is our life. He said he was the resurrection and is resurrection, resurrection and the life. And again, those who are Jesus' friends who fall asleep will one day be wakened by him who is the resurrection and the life. Now today, I have a few applications that I would like for you to make, some challenges. And the first one is this. What's keeping you from being connected and being a friend of Jesus, really living out the Christian life? And I would say, like Jesus said to Lazarus, the dead man that was in the tomb, and you may be that dead person in the tomb, Lazarus, come out. But before that, the friends and disciples of Jesus moved that stone. What stone has to be moved away from your life to be rolled away? What's holding you back? What's the obstacle? So I want you to consider that. Prayerfully consider taking away that stone from your life, from your spouse's life, from your friends or your family's life. Someone who is far from God or maybe not as close to God or as close to Jesus anymore. Second, I want you to unbind them. You see, when Lazarus came out of the tomb, he was wearing burial clothes. His face was wrapped. He was tied up. We want to be unbounded. What would it take? What do you need to do? What do you need to pray? Who do you need to go to to get unbound? And finally, the third application is this. Let him loose. Let him loose. Let him go. What is restraining you from being let loose, to be released? Maybe it's a sin habit. Maybe it's a past sin, something that you feel guilty about. Maybe it's your old life that you haven't allowed Jesus to make new. What's the next step? Let it loose. Remember, John wrote all this that you might believe, that we might believe because of what he saw. Do you believe? This morning we're going to have an invitation song online that you can press to go to YouTube. I just want you to prayerfully consider these three applications. What stone you need to remove? What do you need to unbind or unbound for yourself or others? And, and finally, How do you release that? How do you let it loose? The gospel's never bound, but we can slow it down. Let it loose in your life. And if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, never confessed him, never repented, never been baptized, I would challenge you to do that now. Today's the day. Now is the moment. Let's prayerfully go to that worship altar calling song, the hymn of invitation.